I wanted you to hear that heart. Um, and just so you know, I asked him to do that right before service. I, he didn't have any prep time on that. Um, but I wanted you to hear his heart. I wanted you to hear that testimony of God intervening in his life and how he's continued to lead him and uh, certainly thankful for him to be able to be here today and worship with us. If you would, at this time, turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 21. The last several weeks, we have been looking at testimonies through Scripture, and I hope that you were blessed by that sermon series as I was. Um, and we will continue to have uh, we will continue to have testimonies be a part of our services on at least a semi regular. So if you if God has intervened in your life and and you would like to share, um, I've already got a list to start. Many of you have come to me and said, "Hey, I, I would be willing to do that." Um, I'm I don't worry. I'm going to follow up with you. But if uh, if that's your heart as well, then we would love love to hear from you as a church. We start the Christmas season though with a new series. We're looking at the series, and, and I've titled the series, He Is. And so this morning, you'll see on the screen, He Is the New Beginning. You know, we come to Christmas, and there's a great deal of excitement. There's a great deal of anticipation for most of us. It's a time of joy. We change the music that we sing. Uh, we change the things that we do. Christmas is a time of, of excitement and expectation. And for us as Christians... We, you will hear a Christian on a regular basis usually say, well, we know that the season is all about him. The season's all about Jesus. It's not about the presents. It's not about the, the decorations, though my daughter would argue with you that it might be about the decorations. Um, it is about Christ. But my question before you this morning is why? Who is he that his birth is to be celebrated? Who is he, this baby in a manger, that we would be excited, that we would sing songs of joy, that we would celebrate him? And so this morning, we, uh, we start that series looking at who is he. And we start it with this idea of he is the new beginning. So hopefully by now you found Romans chapter 5. If you would please stand with me. As we honor the reading of God's Word this morning, we're reading chapter 5, starting in verse 12 and going through the end of the chapter. Paul says here in Romans, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the, have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 
For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for this opportunity to come into this place with our families, with our friends, with our church family. Lord, to sing praises of your birth and of your coming. Lord, to celebrate who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, Father, that we would, Lord, even grasp a small amount of what you truly have done, of your grace and your love, of your majesty. Father, I pray that, that for those of us that have grabbed hold of that, Lord, that we would, our joy would just be multiplied. Lord, I pray for the one here this morning, maybe that has never given their life to Christ, that they don't have a relationship with you, that today would be the day of salvation, that today that they would know you. Father, we pray name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. He is the new beginning. He is the, as Paul puts it here in chapter 5, the second or the last Adam. And so this morning we're going to look at these two Adams, these two beginnings. Paul helps us to understand in chapter 5 that there are two representatives. Adam being a, the physical representative of all of humanity. And then you have Jesus Christ being a different kind of representative that we're going to look into here in a moment. But both of them stand before all of history and before God as representatives of the human race as a whole. And yet, both of them had one choice. And that choice was whether or not they were going to follow the purpose that they had been given. And we're going to look at that here in just a moment as well. And then finally, what we see in these two atoms, these two representatives, is that they, because of the choice that they made, and because they made different choices, there were two outcomes. Two different outcomes. So as we look, that kind of gives you an overview of where we're going this morning. But Paul's Paul's whole thing this morning is about these two types of atoms, not atoms, atoms, who are representatives who made, both made a choice and how their choice then set in motion a whole range of outcomes. So let's look first at the first atom, the first atom. If you would, turn with me to Genesis, back to the beginning of your Bible, and in the very beginning of Genesis, we see the creation story, how all of this came to be. In Genesis chapter 2, we have the creation of Adam. It says in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 5, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust 
from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we see in Adam first the, his creation, that he was formed from the dust, and then God breathed in him, and God's breathing into him was what made him in the image of God. It made him different from the rest of creation. So God creates Adam special, and from Adam is going to come all the rest of humanity. But he does something additionally. He gives him a purpose. He gives him a direction. If you flip back to Genesis chapter 1, you see this. In verse 28 of chapter 1 of Genesis, it says, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, and the sixth day. So we have not only the creation of Adam, but then we have God giving Adam a purpose. He says, go, enjoy all of this. And have kids. And let them enjoy all of this. It's a pretty clear purpose. Melissa and I love on our vacations when we get the opportunity to go to national parks. Because we love seeing the majesty of God's creation. Whether it's the the glory of the mountains. Or whether it's the power of the sea. Or whether it's the tranquility of of a waterfall and a stream. We love to be outdoors, and I, I envy park rangers whose job it is to take care of those places. Like, just go into that every single day, have fun. But that's what God's intentional or original purpose was for us. Go into this creation that is good and have fun. Enjoy it. And so, but he, he has one more command. He tells Adam, going back to Genesis 2, I know we're kind of flipping around a little bit, But he says in Genesis 2, he says, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You see, Adam wasn't just a robot. Adam had a clear choice. Adam's choice was to either follow God and and to fulfill this purpose that he'd been given of enjoying creation and having kids and having them to enjoy creation and this relationship with God that had been built into that. That was first part of the choice. The second part of the choice was to do his own thing. The second part of the choice was to look at what God had given him and what God had said to him and said, I can do better. I don't need you. And unfortunately, what we read in Genesis 3 is that Adam made a choice, and his choice was to go against God. His choice was to what the Bible calls sin, to break the law of God. 
And when Adam did that, there was a horrible outcome. You'll notice when God gives the the command, the edict, the warning, do not eat of this tree, that he says, when you do, you will die. Now, if you've read the story, you know that when Adam and Eve eat of this fruit, they don't immediately die. So was God not speaking the truth, or was he speaking of something different? Well, we know that God always speaks the truth, so there must be more. What we understand when we read the totality of Scripture is that it's of two types of death. The first type of death is the one that all of us experience and all of us know, and that is the separation of the soul from the body. One day, this body will fail us, and we will be buried unless we are here when Christ comes again. And in that moment, we believe that the soul is separated from the body, and it either is joined with Christ in a place called heaven, or it is separated from Christ in a place called hell. That is the first death. But there is another type of death that the Bible speaks of, and that is a death of the soul. It is when the soul is not separated from the body, but when the soul is separated from God. And that's a much more serious thing. You see, we believe that There is going to be a time when we are all resurrected and these bodies will be made perfect. They will be made as they originally were intended to be and the soul will be reunited with the physical body and then we will live forever in one place or another. We will either be united with God for all of eternity in a second earth, in in a new creation, or we will be separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. That is true death, and that is what God speaks of here. That when Adam chose to sin, that he brought with him the outcome of separation from God, the true death. And now, we experience, all experience that. We see it physically, this separation happened when Adam and Eve are removed from the Garden of Eden. But we all experience it even today. He brings with him guilt. God said, do not do this. There was one do not do. It was go have fun, go prosper, go have a family. This is going to be fantastic. Just don't do this one thing. But by golly, if you have a child, you know that they're going to choose the one thing. And so Adam makes this choice. And when he stands before God later, there is no denying his guilt. He's done the one thing that he was not to. And in the same way, we experience that guilt as well. And then lastly, he does bring with him death. The horrible outcome of Adam's choice is separation from God. It's guilt before God. Now that we, he has broken the law, but it is also death. Sin corrupts everything it touches. It's why we have disease. It's why we have famine. It's why we have drought. It's why work is toilsome and frustrating. All of these things came out of this horrible decision, and they have been spread through physical birth. Because Adam was our representative, Paul says, then he has made this decision, and that outcomes of those decisions have been passed on to his descendants by physical birth. 
And so all of us are born separated from God. The Bible puts it like this. We were all born dead spiritually. Unable to have a relationship with God. Because of Adam's decision. And because we are born spiritually dead, then we make decisions naturally to sin. We naturally follow in Adam's footsteps. If you don't believe me that this is the case, then go follow a one-year-old for a couple days. It'll only probably take you an hour, really. You do not have to teach a child, even a one-year-old, to strike in anger. You do not have to teach a one-year-old to lie or a two-year-old to lie, whatever age they start speaking. You do not have to teach a young child how to resist authority. I swear they come out knowing the word no. I don't know who taught my daughter how to stamp her foot, but thank you. You don't have to teach a child any of those things because we are born that way. We're born spiritually dead, separated because of Adam choice in the garden we're born we are therefore guilty because we have made the choice to sin because that's our natural inclination then we stand before him guilty now we stand before God as a creator now we stand before God as judge and creator and we have nothing to say when when the when it's how do you plead we have nothing to say but guilty There is no other response to that. Therefore, we face the consequence, just as a criminal faces the consequence when they are found guilty. So we too face the consequence that Adam has brought into the world of death. If you're sitting here right now and thinking, this is the most depressing Christmas message in the history of the world, you are right. But this is where we find ourselves. With the first Adam... Because of sin, under separation from God, dead to the world, guilty. But God did not leave it that way. Paul says, God in his grace chose a second representative. God looked at our state, he looked at our dead souls, and says, that's not where we're going to end this. He desires to have grace upon his creation. He desires to have love and grace towards us. And so he chooses a second representative, a second, or as Paul puts it, last Adam. But this Adam is different in a number of ways. This Adam is not created. Turn with me to John chapter 1, just for a moment. John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, his name was John, and he came to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. 
the true light, which gives light to everyone who was coming to the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came into this world, and his own people did not know him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So this second Adam, this man named Jesus Christ, he was not like Adam in that he was not created, John tells us. He was the creator. He was been there from the beginning. But in God's wisdom and in his grace, God comes wrapped in the flesh, born in a manger, named Jesus Christ, that he could become the new beginning. It's like God, in a way, is he has fulfilled all of the first part of the story, and this is the new thing. I always, uh, I, having a young daughter, we have gone back and begun watching Disney all over again, however you feel about Disney. We have, we have started that process. And I, I have, one of the things that I've had a conversation with Melissa about is, have you ever noticed how really scary and depressing Disney can be at times? Like we have the death of Bambi's mom. We have the tearing of Cinderella's dresses by these horrible witches of sisters. We have, uh, you have the crumbling of the house in Encanto, like this devastation of a family's home. And like we could go on and on and on because a good Disney movie has a devastating moment. The whole story comes to a climax. And honestly, it's terrifying. Like, re-watching it through my daughter's eyes, I'm like, oh my gosh, should we even be showing this to her? Because it's scary. But praise, no, don't praise Disney. Thankfully, Disney doesn't end the movie there. They introduce something that redeems what has happened. Even yet, God, though we are dead, he has introduced something better that is set to redeem. And so Jesus comes into this world with a clear choice. Jesus comes in this world to redeem creation, to make it new. And there was a choice. We see in the rest of the Gospels that the devil tempts Jesus just like the devil tempts all of us. But unlike us, Jesus resists. Jesus lives a perfect life. Therefore, he does not earn any condemnation. He does not have any guilt. He does not deserve death because he's perfect. And because he chose perfection, and then because he chose to lay down his life for us. You see, Jesus was no martyr. Jesus was no victim. Jesus lived a perfect life, and then he voluntarily died. He voluntarily allowed himself to be separated from God so that he could pay for our penalties. And then three days later, after he was buried, God rose him again as a sign and a seal of his approval. The debt has been paid. The world can be redeemed. Because of that action, because of God's righteousness in Christ, 
And now the wonderful thing is that we to experience, we get to experience a gracious outcome. Unlike Adam, the first Adam, where he makes this horrible decision to rebel and we experience the horrible outcomes that come after that, when Christ chose righteousness, we or we can be a part of that. And he brings with him justification. You look at verse 16. It says the free gift is not like the result, going back to Romans 5, sorry, in verse 16. But the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following the one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. What does that mean? It means that no longer are we separated from God, but now we have been justified before Him, and we have been brought back into a relationship. No longer do we have to be separate from God. No longer do we have to face that that consequence. But now, through Christ, we can know Him and have that relationship that we were always intended to from the beginning. Not only that, but we see righteousness. You look at verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. No longer do we have guilt. Now we have righteousness. One of the best explanations that I've, I've heard for this, and you've heard me share this before, but it would be like you owing an amazing debt, an unpayable amount of money, and a rich man coming and saying, not only am I going to pay your debt, but I'm going to take all my wealth and put it in your bank account under your name. That's what Christ has done for us. His righteousness, His goodness not only wipes away our guilt, but then everything that he has done good, we can claim as our own because of his grace. And it is that righteousness that leads to life. It's that righteousness that leads to life. You ask someone, how do you get to heaven? How do you get to heaven? And they may tell you, well, I'm a good person. But friend, I hate to tell you, being a good person does not get you to heaven. Because if you've committed a sin, and we all have, then you are guilty and therefore not deserving of heaven. Just as like if a murderer were to stand before a judge and he was convicted and he was guilty of that murder, but he stood before the judge and said, well, but I'm a good person. I don't deserve jail. We would mock that, right? We would would look sideways at that and think, what is he talking about? In the same way, since all of us have sinned, all of us have made the choice to reject God. All of us stand before God, deserving separation, deserving death, but Christ has stood in our place. And now, if we accept the free gift that Paul talks about, now we stand before God, not guilty, but we stand in front of God with the innocence of Christ before us. So now we have an opportunity. Now we can say, When it's asked, how do you get to heaven? I get to heaven through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that is perfect. That is unblemished. So we have a clear, Jesus had a clear choice. He he made the choice of righteousness. The outcome has been gracious towards us. And it is spread through spiritual birth. You'll notice when we read in John chapter 1 that it says that he has invited those to become children of God who are born not of the flesh, but they are born of what? Of the will of God. 
You see, in order for us to be new, in order for us to have a part in this new beginning that Christ has ushered in, then we cannot do it physically. We must be born again. John chapter 3, there is a man named Nicodemus who is a wise counselor of the Jewish people, and he comes to Jesus and he says this, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, but no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Friend, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to know your purpose in life, if you want to experience life and experience it abundantly, then you must be born again. Because if you were born in that first representative Adam, then you are already dead spiritually and you need to be made alive. And when that happens, our desires change. Our identity changes, our outcomes change, everything changes because we are new in him. Nehemiah, or sorry, Nicodemus asked, How does this happen? How can this possibly happen? Jesus tells him, It's by the Spirit. Only the Spirit can make you new, only the Spirit can revive you. If you will trust Him, if you will follow Him, if you will accept the free gift of life, which brings us to our last question. Who is your representative? Who is your representative? You have a clear choice. We will live in one or the other. We will either live with Adam as our representative carrying with us the outcomes of that, or we will live with Christ as our representative and the gracious outcomes that come with Him. Adam offers death, but the second Adam, Jesus Christ, offers life. Now you may say to me, well, that's an easy choice. I want life. Okay, then understand this. If you would claim Jesus Christ as your, as your representative, that you would choose life, then understand that means saying goodbye to the old life and following Him. It means He's in charge now. Many people will hear the gospel and they will hear the truth that the first Adam brings death and they won't want that, but they also don't want to hand over control in their life and so they're going to say, no, thank you. Understand that if you choose Christ as your representative, then you follow Him. He changes everything. And so the question is, have you been born again? Have you been born again? Has there been a time in your life, as Nathan testified to earlier, has there been a moment in your life when you have come before God and said, I know that I've gone the wrong way. I've tried to do it on my own, and I, I am sorry. Forgive me. I know that you paid the price, that you died on the cross, that you rose again from the grave for me. I want to follow you. I want you to be my representative. I want to do life your way. If you will do that this morning, believe that in your heart, mean those words, then I promise you, I promise you, you will know a new life. That is why we celebrate. 
Because the one who was born in that manger over 2,000 years ago, he was a new beginning. He was a new start to everything. And so now we celebrate. My prayer this morning is if you've known him this morning, if you know that you've been born again, if you know that you're a new creation, that this morning you would join us in celebration, that you would enjoy Christmas because it is a new start, that we would have that same edict that was given to Adam, go and enjoy. My prayer also is this morning that if you do not know him, if you do not have a relationship with him, that this morning you would just have that simple conversation. God, I know that I've gone wrong. Please forgive me. I want to follow you. I pray that you would pray that prayer this morning. And then come find us. Come tell someone. We want to tell you what the next step is. We want to celebrate that with you. We want to encourage you in that. Come find us. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up, and we're just going to have a time of response. This morning, a natural response for a believer, like I said, is just to celebrate and rejoice. But there may be one here this morning You have never, never had a relationship with God. You may be a good person. You may have come to church for a long time. But you're doing things your own way, and you know it. This morning, will you you follow him? Will you make him your representative? Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning. We thank you for your, your glory and your magnificence, and we're in awe of that, and we thank you that you have sent a second representative, that you have sent a second Adam, a new beginning, that now no longer do we stand in guilt, no longer do we stand condemned, no longer do we face death and all of its horrors, but now we know life. Father, I pray that we would celebrate that well, or that we would celebrate Christmas well, knowing who you are, Lord, I pray that that others would know you as well. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would stand with us as we respond, you can come to the altar, but let's respond.